Here we are wading into the latter portion of Paul's letter to the Philippians in chapter 2. I mean the latter portion of chapter 2, not the letter itself. And it's always important because Paul's exhortations are so laced with joy and confidence and hope, we need to always be reminding ourselves of Paul's current predicament. The fact that Paul writes this letter to the Christians in Philippi while he is in prison. Now we've already said we're not sure of the exact nature of Paul's imprisonment. We don't know if he's literally in chains 24 hours a day, 7 days a week, or whether it's a kind of house arrest where he is supervised by Roman soldiers. We're not exactly sure of the nature of his imprisonment. But what we do know is that Paul does not have freedom of movement. Paul is not in a position where he can go and give first-hand personal oversight to the congregations he has oversight with. So Paul's unable to minister in person with those congregations he has oversight with. As a result, Paul must then depend upon ministry partners to do certain things in his absence. In particular, we see that Paul has already sent Epaphroditus to Philippi. And he intends to send them Timothy also. And and you might be served by the way I say this week by week. If your Bibles are open, you will be helped. Because the stuff going on the screen is not usually the text. uh, Because I imagine that you have the text in the Bible in front of you or on your device. Uh, But you'll see that Paul's already sent Epaphroditus. And he wants to send Timothy as well. So Paul introduces to these Christians his ministry partners. And he describes them in the most favorable of terms. So what I would like to propose for each of us this morning is that we see the characteristics that mark Timothy and Epaphroditus as being characteristics that should mark every Christian. So when we read about what Timothy's like, when we read about what Epaphroditus is like, we get a glimpse into what we should be like. The kind of person and the kind of Christian that we ought to be. For when we are marked by these particular characteristics, we then become useful servants for the kingdom of God and helpful partners for the gospel. I want to frame this by highlighting four character traits that make a Christian a helpful gospel partner. Four character traits that make a helpful gospel partner. Now the first character trait is very, very basic. In some ways it may seem very easy, but as we explore it further you may see it's more difficult than you think. The helpful gospel partner must first be available. Available. It sounds pretty straightforward. Someone, you just need to be able to show up. The first thing a helpful gospel partner must be is they must be available. Where do I get that from? I glean this attribute from the number of times Paul talks about sending someone to Philippi. Look at verse 19. 
Paul says, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon. Read a few verses later, verse 23. I hope, therefore, to send him. Verse 25. I have thought it necessary to send you Epaphroditus. Basic logic tells us that you cannot send someone unless they are available. You cannot send someone unless they are available. And as we read Paul's letters, we get the sense that Paul had numerous individuals who made themselves available for ministry. Individuals who would willingly go wherever Paul needed them. Just look through Paul's letters. You'll see that Paul had, in an earlier day, sent Timothy to Corinth. You'll see that he sent Tychicus to Ephesus. That he sent Tychicus and Onesimus to Colossae. And now he's sending Timothy and Epaphroditus to Philippi. Those who made themselves available to Paul helped to extend his ministry reach. Well, this begs an obvious question. Are you available? Are you, Christian brother and Christian sister, are you available to be used by God for the sake of His kingdom? Are you available to be sent in the name of Jesus Christ to do His bidding? What kind of margin do you have left in your weekly schedule? I'm not asking that you be willing to go to Africa or Eastern Europe or the Middle East, although conceivably God may choose to send you there, but I'm not asking you to be available to go to those far off places. I'm simply asking, are you available on a more local level? Are you available on a weekly or monthly basis? Are you available to help with our ministry in Ramferley Homes? Are you willing, are you available to help with our regular ministry in Bain and Grantstown? Are you available to help in some way with our children's ministry, which is almost half this congregation? Almost 75 or so under the age of 18 are in the next building. Are you available to help them? Are you available in the course of your week to attend a small group Bible study? Not simply so that you can be fed, but that you can feed and encourage and build up other people. I want to ask you this morning, which of you are available? To what degree are you available? I am grateful to be able to say that in every place I've pastored, I have always had people who are available. I've always had people who are available to do that which was most urgently needed in the ministry. 
I thank God that I've been able to work with the present day manifestations of a Timothy, of a Titus, of a Priscilla, of an Aquila. I know what it's like to be helped along, to have my own reach extended by the availability and service of others. Some of you do this on a regular basis. But will each of us be available? Are you prepared to be such a person? And if if you're not quite ready, what would need to change in order for you to be more available for gospel ministry? Because maybe I asked the question, are you available for gospel ministry? And your answer was, well, no, I'm not. I've got a lot to do, a lot of people depending on me. My schedule's full. I'm not available. Maybe that's the answer that you gave me in your mind. So my question is, what would need to change in your life? What would need to be amended to make you more available for gospel ministry? Could it be that your schedule is just so jam-packed with work-related matters, with children's activities, with recreational commitments, uh, with service club participation, that you really aren't available to either engage in or sustain an engagement in gospel ministry. And so in order to help the gospel along, some of you will have to make some tough decisions And you'll have to say, if I'm going to be used by God to help His kingdom or to spread His gospel, I'm going to need to stop doing this thing or at least do this thing less than I once was. You may recall from the Old Testament, hundreds of years before Paul wrote the Philippians, the Lord Himself showed up and asked this question. He showed up, you may remember, to the prophet Isaiah. It's recorded in chapter 6 of Isaiah. And the Lord asks pretty much the same question. The Lord asks, whom shall I send? Who will go for us? And Isaiah immediately responds, here I am, send me. The Lord wants to know, whom will I send? Who is willing to go? And we need people like Isaiah to say, here I am, Lord. Send me. It appears that Paul asked the question, if someone's thinking, why is he asking this of us? Why is he so interested in my daily schedule? Why is the pastor being so pushy and and forward about getting into my business? Why? Because this is what Paul did. Paul wants to know, whom shall I send to Ephesus? Who's willing to go to Corinth? Who's willing to go to Philippi? And Timothy answers, I am. Epaphroditus says, I will go. Paul was constantly asking the question, and he was thankfully getting affirmative answers. The need for gospel partnership remains. St. Andrew's Presbyterian Kirk needs all of her members engaged in gospel ministry in some manner and in some measure. Are you available? 
Are you willing to be available? Are you willing to change some things to make yourself available? It probably won't surprise you to hear me say that we need to be available in a particular way. We need to be available in a particular manner. Once we order our lives to include the engagement in gospel ministry, once we make ourselves available, there are other attributes that we need to appropriate. The helpful gospel partner must secondly be compassionate. The helpful gospel partner must secondly be compassionate. I love the way Paul describes Timothy in verse 20. Paul says, I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. You know, I've I've heard commentators talk about the Apostle Paul and his ministry, and some paint him as being robotic or unfeeling, uh, almost like a military general, but I don't see it. Paul says, I have no one like Timothy who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. Paul clearly has a shepherd's heart. And he gives the highest commendation to Timothy on the basis of his compassion. I have no one like Timothy who will be as genuinely concerned with your welfare. We sense the exact same thing with Epaphroditus. Look at verse 26. Paul says, He has been longing for you all, and he has been distressed, because you heard that he was ill. You see the level of mutual care that's described here? The Philippians hear the news that Epaphroditus is unwell, and it upsets them. And then Epaphroditus hears that the Philippians are unsettled by his illness, and now he's distressed about them being distressed about him. Why is Epaphroditus distressed? Because he genuinely cares for these people. He loves the Christians in Philippi. They are important to them, to him. And so when they're upset, he is upset. Because he has compassion. Gospel advancement not only requires people who make themselves available. Gospel advancement is helped along when Christians demonstrate genuine compassion and concern for one another. Thirdly, the helpful gospel partner must be humble. The helpful gospel partner must be humble. And we touched on this earlier in Philippians chapter 2. What does it mean to be humble? Well, the framework in Philippians 2 is humility is others before self. Your needs before my needs. Not me first, but you first. That's humility. Paul identifies the incarnation of Christ. He references the crucifixion of Christ as being the premier examples of others before self. Now, at the end of the chapter, Paul says Timothy has humility. Timothy has humility. Look at verse 20 and following. 
I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. For they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know Timothy's proven worth. How as a son with a father, he has served me in the gospel. I was thinking a lot about humility. I was, I was thinking about it a little bit in terms of our own context here in the Bahamas. And, and I asked someone, and I, even though I've lived here for seven years, there, sometimes you know, I don't catch certain phrases or I don't understand certain phrases. And I'm too embarrassed to ask the question, what is meant by that? Or what does that mean? Realizing that it's, it's, it's a culturally focused thing. So I asked someone the other day because I kept hearing this word and I had no idea what the word meant. I asked someone, what does the word bigoty mean? Bigoty. I don't know if my fellow Canadians will agree. I had never heard that word in my life until I came here. So-and-so, oh, he's bigoty. She's bigoty. Usually it's a he, by the way. I don't know what that means. It's usually a he. So I asked someone what the word bigoty precisely meant. And I'm told that it refers to someone who is very boastful in an aggressive and forward and emboldened kind of way. That, that, it, that their being bigoty or boastful makes them change their personality to be very, very forward. Friends, if that is an accurate description of bigoty, I can safely say to you, that no Christian person should ever be thought of as bigoty. If someone says you're bigoty, there's a problem. Because Christians, people who are like Jesus, are not bigoty. They're not about themselves. They're not about their accomplishments. Christians are about Christ. And Christ is about others before for, others before self. We ought not to be ever be bigoty, but we need to be useful to God and marked by genuine humility. And finally, the helpful gospel partner must be brave. The helpful gospel partner must be brave. We see this in verses 29 and 30. Paul exhorts the Philippians, Receive Epaphroditus in the Lord with all joy, and honor such men. For he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. We are reminded in these verses how dangerous it was to be a Christian in the first century. We should be reminded as we read the entire letter, thinking that Paul's writing this from prison. But even more when he says that Epaphroditus was risking his life by making himself available and useful for the gospel. It was dangerous to be a Christian, to be a Christ follower in the first century. You may remember if you were here a few weeks ago, I marked out some of the similarities between Paul's ministry and the way I do ministry, but I also highlighted one of the massive differences between Paul's ministry and my own. 
And you may recall that it was referenced that in the book of Acts, when you read about Paul's ministry, you see that wherever Paul goes, he's either threatened, beaten up, or he's thrown in prison. That's pretty much the three options for Paul when he preaches the gospel. He's either going to have his life threatened, someone's going to beat him up, or someone's going to throw him in prison. That's very different than my ministry. Very different. Wherever I go, someone is pouring me a cup of tea. Wherever I go, someone is buying me lunch. My ministry context is very different from Paul. So, and I, I share that again because of this notion that the helpful gospel partner must be brave. And what I want to admit is that bravery looks very different in our day. And I don't yet have to have that kind of bravery yet. In fact, I'm, I'm teased by my colleagues and my friends in the U.S. and Canada. Whenever I go to Presbytery, whenever I go to Presbytery, the greeting, the most common greeting I get from my brothers there is they say, How's it going suffering for the gospel in the Bahamas? Of course, they just, I don't know if they imagine that like I'm in my swimsuit going to the beach and doing ministry. I don't know if they think I have small group gatherings in Atlantis or Bahama. I don't know what they're thinking. My ministry day, of course, looks nothing like that, be assured. At the same time, at the same time, we will have to be brave in some manner. Very different than in other places in the world. We are grateful that we live in the Bahamas. We are not in Iran. We are not in Afghanistan. We are not in China, where the Christian church has to meet in secret. They can't let the authorities know what they're up to. You heard in our prayer of approach this morning, another prayer for a colleague of mine, the Reverend Andrew Brunson, who's been wrongly imprisoned in Turkey since October. We think, oh, this couldn't happen to me. This couldn't. Ha this has happened to someone in our denomination. Not only is it someone in our denomination, but this is how related it is. Andrew Brunson went to high school with a member of this church. This is not as far away as we might imagine. Now after saying all of that, after saying that our bravery will look different than those in those hard places, we will need to be brave in some manner. And let me just give you a few examples. And, and it pales in comparison to the Andrew Brunsons and the Christians in Iran and China and other places. But let me give you some some examples that you can work through this week. You're in a public place. Maybe you're in a restaurant. Maybe you go for lunch after church today. And there are people in the restaurant all around you. But it doesn't stop you from grabbing the person's hand or the person next to you and saying a prayer in that restaurant out loud. Now, holding hands is optional in case you're not that kind of person. But it says something to the world when we can pray out loud in public. Some of you are thinking, oh, that's not easy. Exactly. It'll take bravery. You'll need to be bold. You'll need to be brave if you're going to say words of prayer to the Lord Jesus Christ in a public place. 
And perhaps another place where you can have bravery is in your workplace or in your neighborhood or in your own home as you share the gospel message or you share your relationship with Jesus to another person. And here's where we have to leverage that we live in the Bahamas. If you live in Canada, I'll just pick on Canada because I'm from there. If you are in a workplace in Canada and you start sharing the gospel with someone, there's a really good chance you'll be looking for a new job next week. Those freedoms are not afforded everywhere in the West. But here in the Bahamas, I've learned, I've heard from you, you can share your faith in the workplace and it's okay. In some places it's celebrated. You can talk about your faith in Jesus with your neighbors and they won't shun you. You can talk about Jesus with people in your own home. may not be easy. And that's why we need bravery. Perhaps, and and again this is self-serving because I want to see all of you on a Sunday morning and every Sunday morning. But some of you know this. Some of the places where you'll need the greatest amount of bravery is when someone invites you to do something on Sunday morning. Oh, you want to go on a boat with me? Would you like to do a round of golf with me? Would you like to go fishing? Would you like to go eat at the club? Would you like to do this? Could you do that? And on a Sunday morning you say, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, but the most important thing I'm going to do today is gather with my brothers and sisters in Christ and worship the living God. And there's nothing more important for me to do today. I love a smooth sea. I love golfing. I love all these things. But sometimes bravery says, worship first. Worship first. So I want to come full circle now. We've got all four character traits up there on the board. And what I want us to be reminded of is that, first of all, Paul, I think, without argument, was one of the most effective evangelists of the first century. I can think of, uh, through no other person were as many churches planted and influenced for the gospel than Paul. That's the first thing we want to note, is how successful he was in gospel work. And then the second thing I want us to note is that he was in prison for a good portion of that. He had to move the gospel forward by being a part of a team. Paul literally depended on other people for the effectiveness of the work that he initiated. He did not labor alone. No pastor, no group of pastors couldn't do it without a much larger base helping out. Paul was surrounded by individuals who were available to him, who were compassionate, who were humble, and who were brave. And it is my conviction that we can be similarly marked in our day. I have heard longtime members of this church marvel at the progress that we've made. In fact, I met a lovely family uh, that were visiting last week, so I'm not embarrassing them because they come once a year, every year for the last 20 years. And they were sharing with my wife, Allie, how different 
the church has looked to them over the course of those 20 years. The ups and the downs, the empty pews and the full pews, the good spirit and the troubled spirit. It's interesting when you hear from people who visit annually, because they can see some things that we might not otherwise notice. But many have noticed that we've come a long way, that we're marked in some positive things that we haven't succeeded at in the past. What I want to say is that we're far from the ceiling. We're far from the mark that God wants us to reach. We have a long way still to go. And if we're okay with being where we are, then we keep doing what we've always done. But if we want to reach the bar that God has set, if we want to go through the door of opportunity that God has put before us, then it will be necessary for a much greater engagement from every person who calls this their spiritual home. We need engagement from each and every one of you. We need you all to be available, to be compassionate, to be humble, and to be brave. So that if the Lord speaks to your heart, and he asks you this morning, Whom shall I send? Who will go? I pray you'll say, Here I am. Send me. And this isn't just a sermon. This is a call. It's not just a call from a pastor in a pulpit. But it's a call that the Lord gave many, many years ago. Whom will I send? Who will go? Here I am. Send me. Amen.